Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Can I, can I ask a quick question? If you've been blessed by a father figure, I'm talking about biological, step, uh, adoptive, spiritual father. If you've been blessed by one of those men in your life, could we just give it up one more time for the dads among us? Amen. Thank you, guys. Moms, you're important to us too, but that was six weeks ago. Today we're talking about dads and enjoying our dads today. And I do hope, guys, that you feel really blessed. Grab a sweet or treat, something on the way out. Just a simple reminder of how much you're appreciated in this house. And, and thank you for who you are and what you do, not just in church, but in your families and in your communities. Before we get into message time, I wanted to tell you a little bit about an announcement that we made very briefly a couple of weeks ago and then last week. We've raised a lot of questions about it, and I'm kind of glad because that creates a little buzz. But I announced a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Andy told you last week that I was away, uh, and it's because we've now opened the Bridge Smithfield. Can we give it up? The Bridge Smithfield exists. Amen. Now, the question that got raised is, uh, you know, when you start a new location, Pastor Jim went to preach to them. Does that, how did they, where, we, this is the first we've heard of it. How in the world did that happen? Well, the reality is that there's a church in Smithfield on, on Booker Dairy Road right across from Triple S High School that, uh, that I've been associated with, quite frankly, since its beginning. Pastor Alan Peacock and his wife Misty and I are very close, and, and, and I've been consulting with that church for many years. And so Pastor Alan approached us several months ago about the possibility of the Awakening Church. Can we see their logo? The Awakening Church becoming the Bridge Smithfield. So we've actually been in a journey for about a year behind the scenes praying. He's been talking to his congregation and his leadership. And so just uh, three or four weeks ago, their congregation came together and voted that they would fact become the Bridge Smithfield and so the last week it was a formality a spiritual powerful moment that I went over and prayed with them uh, to become the Bridge Smithfield and I'll tell you why I'm just convinced I'm, uh, that it's a God thing is at the end of the message time after we prayed over pastor and his wife uh, Pastor Allen came up to close the service and, and he said uh, I want us to pray that God would do what he brought this all about for and that is reaching lost souls and so he prayed and he prayed this powerful, simple prayer, Lord, give us one more soul. Just give us one more. Lord, we want one more. When, of course, we win that one, we want more. One more. Hey, you know, the goal is not to grow a big church. The goal is to win one. One person needs Jesus. Give us one more. And when he finished his prayer, a lady in her 30s is standing at the altar weeping, and he prayed with her to receive Christ that morning. Lord, that's one more. Now give us one more, okay? <laughs> Amen. Now, here's what I want you to see. we got a map. Uh, here's what I want you to see. Uh, the bridge is now one church with four locations, Mount Olive, Goldsboro, Princeton, and now Smithfield. What you may not, you can't tell the detail from where you are, but there in these circles, these are 20-minute drives around our four locations right here in, in, uh, in eastern North Carolina, central eastern North Carolina. There are 400,000 people who live in those four circles. Statistically, I'm told that at least 200,000 of them never darken the door of a Christian church. On any given Sunday morning, maybe as many as 80% of them don't go to church. That means there are at least 200,000 people in our sphere of influence now who desperately need Jesus. 
And we have the opportunity to make a difference in these last days. Anybody believe we're in the last days? We've got, we've got a chance. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's being patient, giving us a chance so that no one would perish. So you pray with me and, and pray with one another that as God continues to move and bless, over the course of the summer, we'll be changing out the signage in that church and we'll be uh, you know, instituting the, the model, the bridge church model over there. And we've had meetings already to start that journey. And then this fall, we'll do a big promotion uh, for the bridge Smithfield in the grand opening in the Smithfield area. We just believe God's going to do some really cool stuff. Okay, can we give it up for the Lord and what he's doing in our house? Amen. Unless there be any mistake about it at all, to God be the glory for everything that's happened. It's all about him. It's all about him. Say it with me. It's all about him. Let's get into message time today. We're in a series that, that we've been calling I Am Blessed, and we've been kind of identifying this idea of living the blessed life. Uh, we've been walking through <coughs> the, the central <coughs> sermon of Jesus' life. We often refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. And, and the first few verses of that central sermon of his life, each one of the, of the verses in that passage actually starts with the word blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. What we identified in the first message of the series is kind of recapping and getting our wheels turning. And for you that are new, kind of catch you up with where we are. That word blessed in the original manuscripts was in the Greek was actually makarios. And makarios literally means to be supremely fortunate and favored. So what Jesus is literally saying is that you are supremely fortunate, you are blessed, and here's how I know. And he goes through this list of things, this list of items. So let's read them. Let's kind of get them in our thinking again. We're going to do this throughout the series. So if you've got your Bible, you can flip over to Matthew chapter 3. Maybe you've got a, a you know, smartphone or something. You can do that. Go to the Bridge NC app if you want to. You can follow. All the notes are there. You can, uh, you can watch on the screens. We want to get you into the Word. If you don't hear anything I say today, guess what I want you to hear? I want you to hear yourself reading the Word of God. Because I want the word of God to get into your heart. So here we go. Let's read it together. Starting with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We call them the Beatitudes before we get into today's study, I want to just remind ourselves of four, four simple principles about the Beatitudes that are important to understand as we study them together. Principle number one is that they are absolutely counterintuitive. Is that true? I mean, they are, they're, they're almost mind-boggling. Jesus is saying blessed, fortunate, favored are poor people. Blessed, fortunate, favored are those who, who are in mourning right now, who are sad people. The meek, the hungry, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the people that are persecuted among us are the ones that are actually blessed. On the surface, that doesn't compute at all, does it? That didn't make sense to us. So you've got to dig a little bit deeper. The second general principle of the Beatitudes is that, that, 
that being blessed is far different from being happy. It's not circumstantial at all. It has nothing to do with what's going on in your current set of circumstances. It goes so much deeper than that. The third principle is that these are actually the character traits of Jesus. This is important. I want you to lean into this one. That tells me that the journey to the blessed life is not about trying to be poor, trying to be meek, trying to be a peacemaker. The journey to the blessed life is working at becoming more like Jesus, who is all those things. That ultimately, if you want a blessed life, it is to become like God's Son, Jesus Christ. Those are actually his character traits. The fourth one, I can't be dogmatic about, but as I read through them, I pick up a thread. I I pick up a progression of thought. So I'm going to suggest to you that the Beatitudes might actually be in order on purpose. That there's not just truth in each one of those of the Beatitudes, but in fact there is a progression of thought that works through every one of them, and and that's what I want to try to build for you as we walk through this series this summer, understanding each of them in a little more depth, but also picking up the journey to the blessed life in the process. Is that worth some of our time this summer? I hope it will be, and if you, you, you go on family vacations, and, and obviously you, you work hard, you deserve a vacation, just dip in online or watch the videos during the week so you can track with us as you have a chance to keep up and we walk through this thread. So let's recap, okay? For those of you that are here for the first time and, and for to get the wheels turning for all of us, the first week we talked about this idea of being blessed or the poor in spirit. Of course, we talked about humility, uh, and this idea of humility is the exact opposite of what the world teaches. What, what does the world teach? The world teaches it's expensive, but I'm worth it, right? It's pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You are the captain of your own fate. But the Bible says the way up is down, that God actually opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So the road to the blessed life starts. Remember I said there's there's a trajectory to this. The road to the blessed life starts by humbling yourself. By submitting your will to his will, by submitting your plans to his plans, saying, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thy will is the first step in this journey to the blessed life. And if you're struggling, you know, I, I accepted Jesus. I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I, I'm, not getting, I'm not living a blessed life. I'm not living the abundant life, the fulfilling life that Jesus promised. Maybe this is where you start. Have you actually submitted your will and your plans to his will and his plans? That's the first step in the journey. Last week, Pastor Andy told us that the second step in this journey are blessed are those who mourn, for they are the ones who will be comforted. And yes, there is the the upfront kind of meaning of that, that if you're going through a season of grief, as we all do on this earth, then, then you have to face that grief. You have to deal with that grief in order to be comforted. You can't just bury it and hope it'll go away. You've got to address it. And we all have known people who came into to, uh, uh, difficult circumstances and, and deep loss, and, they, and they're stuck there five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later. You've got to deal with it in order to get through it and, and, and find a new normal. There's no going back to normal. That's, that's gone. But a new normal requires you facing it and dealing with it. But there's a deeper meaning in that verse that Pastor Andy told you about last week. And this is not just about grieving the loss of someone that we love because if they're walking with Jesus, we're going to spend together forever. I mean, so it's deeper than that. And that is coming to that place where we grieve about the same things that Jesus grieves about. Remember their character traits of Jesus. 
So what does it mean to grieve about the same things that Jesus grieves about? What, what does Jesus grieve about the most? Sin. The end of the day, Jesus grieves about, about sin because he understands the wages of sin is, what is it? It's death. And every good parent wants their children to live, not die. They want them to, to have abundance, not want. They want them to flourish, not struggle. And so, yes, he grieves over sin because he knows the effect that sin has in our lives. And so part of the journey then, having submitted our plans and our wills to God, is to begin to say, God, break my heart over what breaks yours. If there's a sin in my life, I don't want it. You, you show me. The psalmist said, turn your searchlight on me and show me if there's any wicked way in me. Because if there's something in me that grieves your heart, I want it to grieve my heart. That's a huge step toward the blessed life. We'll talk about that a little bit more this morning. So step one is what? It's humble yourself. Step two is what? It's to begin to see sin for what it is and begin to be grieved over any sin in your life so that you could get on the road to life, not death, which brings us to step three in this journey, which is Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Again, you can turn in your Bible or the Bridge NC app or look at the screens, but let's read the scriptures together. Here we go. One, two, three, go. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's another one of those counterintuitive thing, things, isn't it? I mean, the, the meek is going to inherit the earth? What's that about? I mean, aren't meek people soft-spoken you know, mild-mannered, okay, weak. <laughs> you, know, you know what meek is? Is Jesus saying, okay, all you weak guys are going to inherit the earth. Yes, sir. <laughs> See, is that what that's about? Somebody's saying it all. The, the word meek in the original manuscript, the Greek manuscript, is the Greek word preus, and preus literally means strength under control. Strength under control. That preus word carries the idea of a wild stallion, if you can picture it, a wild stallion on a hillside. And you can see him up there, and his muscles are rippling, and his head is held high, and he's majestic as he stands on that hillside. He's not afraid in the least of any other wild animals that might come against him, but he's not a predator either. He doesn't feel the need to go around kicking and stomping, but he's strong enough to handle whatever's thrown at him. If something like that happens, there's just no need for him to throw his weight around. That's strength under control. Let me, let me give you a couple examples from the Bible so we get a clear picture of what this meekness actually looks like. Joseph is, is one of my favorite stories. Some of you know the story. Joseph uh, was sold into slavery by his jealous older brothers and wound up in Egypt as a slave. And, and years pass by, and through a whole set of circumstances, Joseph winds up being the second in command of the most powerful nation on the planet in charge of the food during a famine. Twenty-some years after they sold him into slavery, his brothers are in Egypt having no idea what happened to their brother. They're standing in front of this second-in-command guy asking for food for their family back home. And Joseph is the guy who has the power to say, I know who you are. You don't know who I am, but I know who you are. So I'm going to have you thrown in prison. No, no. I think I'm going to have you all executed now. He had the power, but that's not what he did. What did he do? He forgave them. And he said, what you meant for harm was Satan meant for harm. God meant for good. God positioned me to be at the right place at the right time to do something that he needed to do to ultimately save our family and our nation. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord are called according to his purpose. 
strength under control. Moses is another great example from the scriptures. As a young man, he was hot-headed and impetuous at one point. He, he saw an Egyptian guard mistreating a Hebrew guy, and, and he rose up and killed the guy and then ran out in the desert uh, to keep from being arrested for it. He was just this impetuous, hot-headed kind of guy. But later on, growing in the Lord, he was sent, empowered by God, to stand in front of Pharaoh himself and simply say, let my people go. Series of miracles that followed, Pharaoh ultimately relented. Moses just simply stood his ground, strength under control, and said, let my people go. David is another example. David, as a young man, was anointed by the prophet Samuel to become the next king of Israel. Little did anyone know that it would be 10 more years before he would actually be crowned king. And during those 10 years, the current king would be jealous of him and would chase him all over the planet and try to kill him. And he was hiding for his life much of those 10 years, running for his life much of those 10 years. And yet, toward the end of that season, he finds himself with Saul asleep and he has a sword and he has a chance to kill him. What does David do? God still got him in the position for a reason. You don't touch God's anointed. And he left him there, strength under control. But, but that didn't just happen during biblical times. I read a story from, from early American history the other day that really blessed me. It's a story during the Revolutionary War when American soldiers were, were building back a defensive wall that had been torn down in a battle, and they were building it back up. And as they were doing it, a man on a civilian, in civilian clothes rode up on his horse, and, and he saw these guys are working, and this one guy standing there barking orders. And so the guy on his horse said to the, to the one barking orders, why aren't you helping? And he said, because I'm a corporal, and I'm here to tell him what to do. He said, okay, well, I'll be glad to help. And so he rolls up his sleeves and jumps in and, and took several hours, and they rebuilt the wall. After they finished building the wall, he went back to the corporal and said, next time you have a task to do and you're, and you're undermanned, come directly to me, and, and I'll help you again. And the corporal said, okay, great, thanks. So, so what's your name? He said, I'm George Washington, your commander-in-chief. That's strength under control. I remember watching a TV interview some time ago with Muhammad Ali, and, and the interviewer actually asked him the question. He said, so, sir, your hands are registered as deadly weapons, aren't they? Yes, sir, they are. He said, so if you're walking down the street and somebody just hit you all of a sudden, what would you do? He said, I'd run away. You, you'd run away? Why would you run away? He said, because anybody stupid enough to hit me, he's got a gun in his pocket. That's why. <laughs> okay, that's not a good example. I just thought it'd be fun to tell you. But let's be honest, guys. We all love those stories where you know there's strength there, but it's managed. It, it, it's handled. It's that people don't need to throw their weight around. Strength under control. That's what meekness is. So the, but the real question is, how do you get there? How do you become that person, knowing that it's a major step toward this abundant life, this blessed life that Jesus has given us? Remember, it's not about trying to be meek. It's a matter of becoming more like Jesus. So, so what, what, what exactly does that even mean? Well, let's go back to our verse and see if we can break it down some more. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 again. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We've already looked at blessed. We've already looked at meek. We know what those words mean. But there are two other key words in the verse. What are they? Inherit and earth. The word inherit in the Greek is klaronomai. 
chloronomai. I pronounced that really badly, so don't go quoting me and say, Jim said this is the way it's, it's pronounced. But if you're Greek, then you can come tell me afterwards. But here's what it means. To be given by inheritance the right to possess or have dominion over something. If you inherit something, you get control over it. It's yours now. And so he says, blessed are the meek, for they're going to get dominion. They're going to get control. They're going to, by right of inheritance, they're going to have this control, this dominion over. And what is it they have, they're going to inherit? What's the next word? It's the word earth, which is the word gi that means land. It literally means land. It means dirt. So track with me for a minute. I want you to understand this. Uh, d- does that say that, that the meek will actually in, have take dominion over the earth and, and they get to kick anyone off the planet that they don't like? I mean, is that what that means? Well, as a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, that's exactly what it meant. When God gave him the promised land, told him to go into the promised land, he said, I need you to extricate, get rid of, move out anybody that doesn't honor me. I need you to purge the land of these false gods and these false worshipers. And so in the Old Testament days, that's exactly what it meant. But Hebrews tells us that the Old Testament realities, physical realities, always point to New Testament spiritual truths. Are you tracking with me? Do your heads like this if you are? Okay. So if we're not talking about taking dominion over actual dirt, then, then what are we talking about? I'm glad you asked. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, death was introduced for the first time. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to the dust you will return. What are we coming from? The dust. And what are we going to? The dust. What's he saying? He's talking about our humanity. He's talking about this flesh. This body is not who I am. This is the shell that I live in right now. My soul, my spirit are going to spend eternity with him. And I'm not going to be with Jesus throughout all and forever. But this body is just going back to the dust. It's, I won't need this shell anymore because I'll have a transformed body. But for now, I still have this flesh to deal with. Anybody ever wrestle with your flesh? Sit real still. Nobody will know. We all do. So maybe a paraphrase of Matthew 5, 5 might be something like, blessed is the person who takes control of his humanity, of, of his fleshly desires. Maybe that's what he's talking about, this idea of strength under control, taking control, dominion over dirt, me, my, this body. Does that make sense? Well, maybe. But how do you do that? Anybody ever wrestle with your fleshly desires? I mean, even the Apostle Paul said, why do I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do I don't do? Oh, wretched man that I am. Yeah, that's reality. So how do we deal with that? What's, what's the, as I like to call it, the YBH? Yes, but how do you get there, Jim? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20 is the key verse. Here we go. Let's read it together. One, two, three, go. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. <laughs> I love that word because you, you know what it means just without even knowing what it means. It's got that sound to it, debauchery. Instead, what? 
be filled with the Spirit. In other words, he says there are two options. See the word instead? That means you've got option one on this side. You've got option two on this side of the instead. This option leads to debauchery. If you read the rest of Ephesians 5, you'll find out this option leads to songs and hymns and thanksgiving and healthy relationships and parent-child relationships and all kinds of wonderful kinds of things that come into effect. But you get to choose which option you're going to take. Now, let me... Let me just unpack the options, okay? Because there's a clear choice here that we have to make. And if you want to live this blessed life, this abundant life that Jesus promised, then you've got you to make the choice. Drunk with wine, that word wine in the Greek is the word oinos. That does mean wine, but it also metaphorically means the spirits of the flesh. This is the spirits of this world, of this world system is what he's talking about. The other option is to be filled with the Spirit, and that word filled is the Greek word pleroo, that means to render full, yeah, it means to fill you up, but more than that, it means to carry something into effect. It means to, to empower, to take control, to take dominion over, you heard that word dominion yet? It, 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 the empowerment that you need to take control over the fleshly stuff that so often defeats us. Paul goes into a lot more detail in the book of Galatians. If you've got your Bible, flip over there. We'll put it on the screens for you. Maybe you want to do a study of this on your own or in your small group. But, but he goes into a lot more detail about this in chapter 5 of Galatians, verses 16 and 17. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You see what he's saying? He's saying the same thing he just said in Ephesians chapter 5, where you have a choice. You can be controlled, inebriated by the spirits of this world, or you can be empowered by, filled by the Spirit of God. But you have to choose. When you're empowered by the Spirit of God, then you're able to overcome, take dominion over those things of the flesh. But, in, but short of that, you're going to struggle with this your whole life. You're going to struggle with those, those matters of the flesh your whole life because they are contrary. They are not mixed and mingled. They are opposite sides of the equation. Paul then breaks it down even more, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, there's that word again, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not, what's the word? Inherit, there's that word again, the kingdom of God. If you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you've got to be Meek, it is the meek who inherit. The meek are the people who have strength under control, but what's the source of our strength? It's your will? Come on. If willpower was enough, every one of us would be rich and skinny. It ain't enough. So what happens to Plero'o, these people who are filled with the Spirit? Look at verses 21, 22 and 3. But the Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law that says these things are wrong. Now, question, how do you get those fruit operating in your life? 
Do you strain and say, okay, I'm going to be patient from now on. Is that, is that how you do it? No. Did I say these, these aren't things you try to work hard to get. How do you get there? By becoming more like Christ. How do you do that? By submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. By asking the Holy Spirit to fill you up, to empower you, to have charge and control over your spirit as opposed to your flesh being in control. That's the battle, guys, that we all have to fight in our lives in order to find the abundant life that we're longing for and the blessed life that we long for. And so maybe the paraphrase is not, blessed is the person who takes control of his humanity, his fleshly desires. Maybe it's Maybe it's this. I think I did put it on the screens. Maybe this is it. Blessed is the person who's controlled by the Holy Spirit because they will have dominion over the flesh and begin to see the fruit of the Spirit produced in their lives. Anybody could do with a little more love coming out of your life, a little more patience, a little more self-control, a little more kindness, a little more gentleness. Anybody could use any more faith. How do you get it? By making that choice between operating in the flesh Versus operating in the spirit. Is that possible? Yeah. But you do understand it's not a one-time deal. When I was in seminary, they taught me, and I don't understand all this stuff, but I trust the guys that taught me, and that is that, that in that Ephesians 5.18 passage, in the Greek, it's actually the present perfect tense, which means that it's a present work, but it's an ongoing work. And so this idea of being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time deal. Pray to be filled with the Spirit. You got it for life. I wish it were that easy. It's really a decision-by-decision, moment-by-moment kind of thing. Okay, Lord, I'm feeling anger well up in me. I need your Holy Spirit to take charge. Okay, Lord, there's a temptation coming my way. I need your Holy Spirit to fill me up in this moment. Okay, Lord, I'm feeling impatience starting to come. I need to come back to be filled with the Spirit, not with the flesh, like the little girl's prayer, Lord, so far, I haven't cussed, yelled, gossiped, or been mean to my brother, but I'm going to get out of bed in a few minutes and I'm going to need your help. (laughs) What's the journey to the blessed life, the abundant life? Meekness is part of that journey, and it comes from submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You want control over the humanity that's killing you? The answer is not work harder. The answer is come to him. The answer is humble yourself before him and acknowledge he is God and I am not. The answer is to say, I need your help. I need for to come to that place that I don't see that list from Galatians 5 as a list of, of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. Oh, no, I, I don't get to do that stuff. I love that stuff. That stuff's fun. Is sin fun? Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Is sin fun? Well, sure it is. Sin's a gas. If sin was a bummer, nobody would do it. Come on. The problem is that you get your kicks, and then you get your kick back. There's a price to pay. Did I mention the price of sin? It's the wages of sin is death. might be death of a relationship. It might be death of your self-worth. It might be death of your relationship with God. It leads to death on so many different levels, but that's always the outcome 
of leaning into the fleshly desires, the sins. So you ask God, Lord, help me to begin to grieve. For some of you, this is huge. Help me to begin to grieve over what grieves you. When you see me giving in to the, the desires of the flesh and you know where that's going to lead, it breaks your heart. I want it to break mine too. When you see me tempted to do things that, that ultimately are going to damage my relationships or, or damage my own sense of who I am in Christ, then, then I, turn your searchlight on me, Lord. Guys, I've got to be honest, as a pastor, I've been doing this a long time, and I've watched a shift in the modern church uh, that we have to address. We have to be real about this thing. And that shift is there was a day when people said, I, wanted, I want God's will for my life. I want God's plan for my life. I want to live a life that honors him. And now we live in a day where if pastors tell somebody, you know, that behavior is destructive, that behavior is sinful according to Scripture, that behavior leads to death, we've just become mean-spirited and judgmental. There's nothing mean-spirited or judgmental about warning somebody that they're about to step off a cliff, is there? Whoa, dude, whoa, if you keep going, you're gone. Come on, turn around, come back this way. That's what the word repent means. It means to stop, change your way of thinking, turn around and go the other way. There's nothing mean or judgmental about warning somebody that the cliff is coming. But when you understand that and you say, God, I... I humble myself before you. You are the creator of this world, of this universe. You made me on purpose, with a purpose, and, and you molded me in my mother's womb, and all the days of my life were ordained for me, and, and I want to live a life that honors you and fulfills that sense of purpose. You've taken huge steps toward the abundant life, the blessed life that you long for. But because of our humanity, we're all going to have to come to those places I've been doing this 40, none of your business years, and he still points out things to me that I didn't realize about myself, that I have to come back and go, oh, God, that's, that doesn't honor you, and it doesn't ultimately lead to life for me. So you humble yourself. You ask him to show you what makes him grieve in your life, and you begin to grieve too, and then you pray. We'll talk about this in more detail next Sunday, but you pray that the Holy Spirit will fill you up, give you control, give you dominion over the stuff that's eating you alive. Philippians says, when you do, he will give you both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You may think that's a tall order. According to Jesus, it's not. Did I mention that these beatitudes are actually character traits of Christ? That Jesus is, in fact, the quintessential expression of what meekness looks like? It was Jesus who rode in on that day in Jerusalem on the back of a donkey when he could have had angels bring him in in a parade. It was Jesus who submitted to those illegal trials, and when they would slap him and and blindfolded, they'd slap him and say, if you're really the Messiah, tell me, tell me who just slapped you. And he could have. He could have said, I know who you are. I know who your daddy was. I know who your granddaddy was. I know every sin in your life. He could have. But he kept that strength under control because he had purpose. It was Jesus who allowed himself to go through the beatings, 
crown of thorns pressed into his brow. It was Jesus that allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. Strength under control was exhibited across the generations on that day for you and for your sin, for me and for my sin. And it is Jesus who says, come. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Become like the quintessential expression of meekness. His name is Jesus, and you will find strength under control in your life. So where are you in this process? In this journey to the blessed life, this journey to the abundant living that Jesus promised, where are you in this journey? Just in the quietness of this moment, I'm going to close, but in the quietness of this moment, where are you in this journey? If you honestly say, you know what, I, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I, I, yeah, I believe he's the son of God. I, I, I believe he died for my sins. Yeah, I believe that stuff you just said about all he submitted to. I believe all that stuff. But, you know, I've got my own plans. And I don't think I'm ready to submit my plans to him because I kind of like my plans. And I know where I want to go and what I want to do. Then just be prepared for the abundant life to just be always out of reach. You say, well, yeah, I, you know, I submit to his will. I want God's will for my life, but I do have some pet sins, you know. I've got some areas of my life that I'm just kind of holding on to right now because I'm not ready to let those go. It would be uncomfortable to get honest about what's really going on in this situation. Then please understand that the abundant life, the blessed life is going to be just out of reach. If you can say, I need the strength, I'm ready to deal with those things in my life, but I need strength to do it, and I don't have what it takes to do it in myself, then pray that the Holy Spirit would fill you up, empower you, so that you, in fact, may inherit dominion over your own flesh in the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we pray one of those prayers this morning? Can can we do that? Would you bow with me? not going to sing 27 verses of a song. We're not going to beg you to come to the altars. We're not going to, just right now, in the stillness of this moment, you know what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. What's your next step toward the abundant life? Maybe it's recognizing that he's God and you're not. Father, I want to be a worshiper. I want to worship you. I want to acknowledge you. I want to give you the honor that you alone are due. I submit my plans and my way to you. Just pray that simple prayer. Maybe for you it's about grief. Maybe it's about coming to that place where you grieve over what grieves the heart of God in your own life. I think we all grieve grieve sometimes about some of the things we see going on in our nation, but I'm not talking about our nation. I'm talking about us, me. 
So maybe your prayer is like the psalmist David, Lord, turn your searchlight on me and show me the way to the abundant life, to the blessed life. Forgive me for holding on to my pet sins. Give me a fresh start. And maybe, maybe you've submitted to the Lord and you recognize those areas of your life where the flesh seems to be winning all too often. So it's step three for you. Father, I need to stop being intoxicated by the spirits of this world and the desires of my flesh. I need to be empowered by, filled by the Holy Spirit of God. So I'm bringing this issue in my flesh to you, and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, would you empower me to overcome? I want to be an overcomer. Father, you know who's praying. You know exactly what's going on in their hearts today. You know what's going on in our lives. And I know what you want for us is to live the blessed life that you promised. I thank you for loving us that much. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to do me a favor this morning, if you would, take your Connect card in your hand. If you prayed that first prayer, I want you to put a one in the top left corner. If you prayed the second one, I want you to put a two. If you prayed that third prayer, I want you to put a three. I just want to be able to pray for you. Nobody's going to come knock on your door. Nobody's going to haunt you. We just want to know so we can pray for you. So a one, if you prayed maybe to receive Christ for the first time. Two, if you said there's still some stuff in my life that I, I, I need to to be honest about and break free from. Three, if you're praying that the Holy Spirit will fill you up and give you control over those things, write those things on your Connect card. Give them to the ushers on your way out. It's not late. Can we do one more thing before we go? If, 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 if Joshua stood before the nation of Israel at one point, and he said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. I, I wonder if the men in our house whether you're a biological dad, a stepdad, a, a spiritual dad, an adoptive dad, if you're willing to say publicly that that's who I want to be. I want to be the guy that leads my family into following Christ. Uh, and some of you might say, well, yeah, that's who I want to be, but I can't control what my, my wife does. I can't control what my kids do. I can't control what my ex-wife does. I can't control those things. Here's what I know uh, statistically. <clears throat> when a child comes to Christ first in a family, 37% of the time the whole family comes to Christ. When a mom comes to Christ first, 57% of the, rest of, the, of the time the rest of the family comes. But when a dad comes to Christ, 97% of the time the rest of the family comes. You can't control what they do, but you can control what you decide. So if you're that dad and you'll stand with me right now, we just want to pray for you that you'll be able to do that. Dad's all across the room. Maybe you're online. Just stand right where you are and make that physical statement, I want to be the dad that leads his family in a way that honors Christ. I want my family to know the blessed life, the abundant life, and I understand the journey. Now, those of you that are sitting, would you find a dad close by? Maybe hold a hand if you know that dad well or reach a hand in their direction. And let's just pray for them. Can we do that? Father, we thank you for these dads in our lives, biological step, adoptive and spiritual. We thank you for their lives. We thank you for what they mean to us 
And we accept that the responsibilities are great and often more than they even know how to handle. They do it imperfectly. But I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what you've called them to do in their roles. I pray that they would sense that power rising up in them and that they would, in fact, inherit the earth. The earth defined as their own flesh. The earth defined as our family. The earth defined as our great nation. Because as the family goes, so goes the nation. So I pray blessing over the dads among us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Would you all stand with me now? Father, go with us from this place as we celebrate Father's Day and all the, the things that are involved in that. We just pray blessing over all of the families that are represented here and online. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us and empower us this week and then gather us together again next Sunday in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. The altars are open. If you need to pray with somebody before you leave, please take advantage of that. Drop your Connect cards off on the door on the way out.